Hello, bookworms. Welcome to The Best Book Ever, the podcast where we get to know interesting people by asking them about their favorite book. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and today we're discussing One to Watch by Kate Stamen London. One to Watch is a whip-smart rom-com about B. Schumacher, a successful plus-sized blogger who's chosen to star on a reality show called Main Squeeze, which is similar to The Bachelor. B jumps at the chance to subvert traditional beauty standards and to supercharge her career, but does not anticipate the complications that come with stardom and with being courted by a dozen suitors, a few of whom she actually likes. My guest today is Leah Carey, a sex and intimacy coach and host of the podcast Good Girls Talk About Sex, where she interviews people about their own sex lives. Leah is raw and honest and hilarious, and this conversation is one of my favorites yet. Content warnings abound, as this conversation has some very frank discussions of sex and sexuality, and toward the end, we discuss a book that mentions suicide. So if you are sensitive about any of those subjects, I'd suggest you skip this episode and join me again next week. For those of you sticking around, I know you'll enjoy hearing Leah tell me why One to Watch is the best book ever. Hi, Leah. Welcome to the Best Book Ever podcast. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. This is really exciting because I've never had someone who does what you do on the show before. Will you tell my <laughs> listeners what it is that you do? I think most people don't know someone who does <laughs> I what I do. <laughs> you know, and as soon as I said that, I thought that was a weird thing to say because very few people I think have your job. <laughs> I am a sex and intimacy coach, which means that I work with individuals and couples to figure out what they really want in their sex lives and then figure out how to make that happen. Um, for some people, that might mean I just want to figure out how to talk to my partner about what I want. And for other people, it can be, you know, we want to open our relationship and start exploring non-monogamy or, or, you know, I'm single and I want to start exploring kink. Like there's so many things it can be, but I'm all about helping people have new experiences. How does one come to this job? <laughs> That's a really good question. <laughs> I think the assumption probably is that people who do this work grew up in these really, you know, open households and they had great sexual experiences from day one and they want to share. And I mean, maybe that is true for some people. I, it is not true for me. <laughs> I was actually super repressed until I was in my early 40s. Um, I grew up in a home with abuse and a lot of confusion around sex and around my body particularly, which is why this book means a lot to me that we're about to talk about. Um, when I was uh, around 11 or 12, basically right when I was starting puberty, my father started talking to me about my body and telling me that I was getting fat and ugly and no one would ever love me. Um, and then at the same time, he was also saying like, I have to lock you in your room till 30 so that, you know, they can't get to you and I'll break the kneecaps of any boy who pays attention to you. So it was just super confusing. And I, just, I had so much shame around my body, even though it was a perfectly like straight size, even at the time, pretty thin body. Um, I had so much shame 
and so much fear around sexuality that I just shut it all down. And I, like I said, I was super repressed. Um, I wanted, I desperately wanted to have good sex. I fantasized about it all the time. I read a lot of smutty books <laughs> trying to figure out what good sex is. And that was my only sexual outlet. Um, but I was not having much sex and the sex I was having, because I only had it inside relationships because that was, you know, sort of, I was a very good girl. Um, and I chose relationships with people who were borderline abusive, um, because that's all I thought that I was really worth. Um, and so I was having really terrible sex where I was, um, it was sometimes painful. It was always boring. Um, I was sort of the quintessential lie on your back, staring at the ceiling fan, waiting for it to be over woman. Um, and then in my early forties, I ended up my, my, both my parents had passed away. And um, for the first time I had the opportunity to sort of build my own sense of self instead of buying into what other people told me or who other people told me I was. And so I went on this um, extended road trip, solo road trip around the United States. Um, my goal was to find the next place I was going to live. But what actually ended up happening was a year-long deep dive into sexuality and reconnecting with my body and discovering that I am allowed to be a sexual person and that I wasn't broken. I am capable of sexual pleasure and that there are people who are attracted to me, even though my body isn't perfect. <laughs> In fact, there are a lot of them. I just was not willing to know that before. How did you translate that into work? Um, I happen to be part of an online group of female writers. Um, we're about 200 of us from around the world in a Facebook group. And it all started very sort of <laughs> the way that this happened was organic in the best possible way that when I was beginning my trip, I had this inkling that maybe I wanted to try something different. I didn't know what it was yet, but I wanted to try something. And so I posted to this group of women from around the world, does anybody know, like I have this, um, this real sexual blockage. I have, I, I really want to work through these issues that I've got. Does anybody have any ideas about things I could Google? Cause I'm going to be traveling around the country. What are some terms I could Google to find people who could, you know, maybe do a session with me? And one of my, and, and I said, <laughs> and if I follow through on this, I will come back and report to you because that won't be awkward at all. <laughs> <laughs> and so one of the women in the group gave me a set of search terms that ended up being precisely what I was looking for, which was um, yoni massage, um, tantric massage. And I, I forget what the other one was that she suggested, but basically it's a hands-on like experiencing your sexual energy. 
because I had been in talk therapy my whole life. I was like, I'm tired of talking. <laughs> I want to, if I could have talked my way out of this, I would have done it a long time ago. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so she gave me this information. I, I Googled, I found someone in New York city, which is where I was going to be next and had the experience. And as promised, I came back to these women in our Facebook group. And I said, here's what happened. And I was like, and you know, I'm going to tell you because I promised to tell you, but this may be TMI because like she had her hands on my body and this might be kind of squicky for some of you. So please, like, if you're not comfortable with this, let me know. And instead of that, they're all like, tell us more. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us every single detail. And so over the course of my year-long journey, I was writing to them. Um, It was not on any sort of regular schedule, but it ended up being about 50 like check-ins with them about the things that were going on. And they were the ones who started telling me, um, you need to turn this into a book, which is what I'm currently working on. Um, And they started asking me these questions, um, you know, coming to me and saying, well, I have this thing that's going on with me. What do you think? And that was when I realized I could take my coaching experience and bring it into this realm where I was just, I was like getting the fire hose of information blasted in my face and Uh I could turn around and help others. They're the ones who started having these conversations with me that I realized I wanted to turn into a podcast, uh, which is now my show, Good Girls Talk About Sex, where I interview women about their sex lives. Um, It all happened so organically, which is for me the best feeling. We're going to take a little pause here so everybody can hit the pause button and Google Yoni Massage. I know you all want to. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be waiting when you come back. (laughs) What I love about what you just told me is you didn't give any identifying information about, I just needed to find the right man or the man with this physical attribute or the woman who made this much money. There was no indication of another person. It was so self-centered in a good way. I don't mean that in a negative way society says that, but in the way of self-fulfillment. And I think that's what makes that story so fascinating is it truly is a, it was very much a personal journey and not a journey of this other person is going to complete me. Well, there were a lot of other people involved in my journey, but it was never about them. Yeah, It was always about me. Yeah. Yeah. And part of what I had to learn was that it was okay for it to be about me. Yeah. That I was allowed. I mean, one of the most profound moments, and that's a hard thing to say because there were so many, but one of the most profound moments was the night that I was, um, there was this man who who like we were basically, you know, naked on a hotel room bed. Um, And he asked me, what do you want? And I realized people had asked me that before, but no one had asked me with the intent of really paying attention to the answer. It was always like, what thing can I do to you for the next like 90 seconds to like get you good enough so that then we can do what I want to do. Uh-huh. 
This was the first time someone had ever asked me with every intent of listening and paying attention to the answer. And what I said to him through tears and after like a long period of working myself at working up the courage to tell him the truth was, I want you to touch me without expectation of reciprocation. Because as little girls, we are brought up to take care of everybody else, mm-hmm. to make sure their needs are fulfilled, to really just to make sure that everybody else is taken care of first. What are misconceptions about your work? Mm. A big one is that I'm here to turn everybody into a sex pot. <laughs> <laughs> Like I've actually had people say, uh, I don't know if I should work with you because my goal isn't to become like this hypersexual person. I'm like, that's not my goal for you either. (laughs) My goal for you is to find exactly what is right for you. Like, and if that means that you're coming to terms with the fact that you're demisexual or asexual, and some people may not even know those terms, but that means that you're on the part of the scale where you desire less sexual contact. Um, And if that's what you're coming to terms with, I am right there with you. I want to work with you to help you feel really comfortable in that and learn how to advocate for yourself in that space so that you're getting your touch needs met uh, in a way that doesn't feel coercive, in a way that leaves you feeling fulfilled rather than taken advantage of. You know, like I really want for you what you want for you. Is that what you mean when you say in your bio that your superpower is radical empathy? Exactly. I try to come to every conversation without any expectations or assumptions. What that means is I don't assume that there is a certain level of sexual interest that everybody has. Anytime I hear somebody talking about sex in a way that says like, well, men are this way or women are this way, like I want to throw a flag on that play and be like, no, first of all, no, that's not true. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Second of all, a big part of that is our social conditioning. And what we've learned men and women are supposed to do. And that doesn't even, uh, you know, cover the, the fact that there are, the gender is a spectrum. There are so many gender expressions. So I don't come to the conversation with an assumption about what is quote unquote normal. Mm-hmm. I come to the conversation with, tell me what you want. Like, let's figure out what's going to work for you. And there's no shame in it. I mean. So among my clients, I have people who grow up in purity culture, where they literally learned that their bodies were sinful. Mm-hmm. I have people who have been married for you know two decades and have never actually had a conversation with their partner about sex. They just have sex, but they never talk about it. You know, like there's such a wide range of experiences. And it all starts with being able to have a conversation about who you are and what you want. Yeah. If we can pivot to books, you said yeah. earlier that um, when you were first starting to understand your sexuality, you read a lot of smutty books. I did. Tell, <laughs> tell me what that means. Does Is that a basic airport bodice ripper or did you delve into erotica? Um, well... <laughs> 
the very first book that I am aware of was Clan of the Cave Bear. <laughs> and in fact, that entire series, because man, that woman could write a sex scene. <laughs> and I think I was about 12 years old. And that was when I discovered masturbation was with those books. Um, because good Lord, she could write a sex scene. Um <laughs> I have a feeling those books were a lot of girls' sexual awakenings. Seriously, (laughs) on my podcast where I talk to women about their sex lives, I have had so many people mention that book as a particular sexual awakening. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so then I started, I mean, I was in, first of all, my father was a writer. My mother was an editor. We had thousands and thousands and thousands of books in our house and words were incredibly important. So for me to go seeking reading material, it was not like I had to hide it under my bed, you Mm -hmm. know, like it was not unusual, but I did want to be careful about not exposing exactly what I was reading. Like for me to read Clan of the Cave Bear was okay because that was, you know, like a, a popular novel, but I was not going to, um, go to the library and pick out a Harlequin romance because that would have attracted a kind of attention I was not comfortable with um, or that felt dangerous. So it was sort of like often it was looking for novelists who wrote really good sex scenes. And then over time, it became, you know, the sort of the smuttier stuff, which actually that really, I think, started with the internet when I began understanding that there was like erotica. That was a thing I didn't even know existed for a long time. Yeah. Where do your genre preferences, where are they now? What do you read these days? Um, I've been reading a lot of things that sort of fall into the category of this book we're going to talk about. Um, And I'm not quite sure how to term that because for a while it would have been called chick lit, but I find that kind of gross. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But stories that involve relationships, because I'm a very relationship oriented person. um, And my particular interest over the last couple of years has been seeking out um, this type of story that features characters who are have previously been underrepresented. So, for instance, I just a few days ago finished a book about a woman who uses a wheelchair and gets into rope play. Um, shibari is what that's called. Um, or I've been I've read a bunch of young adult um, kind of coming of age slash finding a boyfriend, girlfriend, slash whatever, um, about, you know, kids of different races, about kids of different gender identities, whether that's non-binary or finding themselves as trans or, you know, whatever that is. I've been really interested in reading about experiences that I don't know anything about because I especially think that young adult authors are doing an amazing job. They are doing, oh my God, God's work in helping people to understand in a non-threatening way what these life experiences are. So tell me what it is that you love about this book. I love this book so much. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I just went back and reread it so that for this conversation, and it made my heart happy, just as happy the second time as it did the first. Oh. Um, first of all, I am a huge fan of The Bachelor. No, I'm not a huge fan. I watch every iteration of The Bachelor. Got it. <laughs> and it is uncomfortable. <laughs> For all of the reasons, and I still watch it. Um, and so I'm very familiar with all of the tropes that are in this book. Um, it is very, I am always very aware watching these shows that there is a particular type of person who comes onto the show. They have a very particular look, they have a very particular body type. Um, they're all within a very narrow age range. Like there is just a type of person who gets cast on these shows. And so the premise of this book is that, uh, you know, as sort of a casting stunt, really, they decide to cast a, a plus size woman. Um, and it is her journey of realizing that she is worthy of love, even though she lives in a body that society says is not lovable. Um, it just, it rings all of my bells. <laughs> and they take pains. She takes pains to point out that plus size does not mean a size 10, which is plus size on television. Correct. And they're very clear that she is very much a plus size woman even outside of that right stricture. So um, if it's okay with you, I just want to take a second to break that down even a little bit further. Yeah, please do. Um, which is that people in the fat community are now asking us to use the word fat, even though it is really uncomfortable for a lot of us because we were grown up say, being told that was a bad word. Mm-hmm. The fat community is now saying, please use this word because it is a descriptor. It is not a shame. It is okay. simply, I am fat. And there are gradations within the fat community. So I, at a size 14, though post-pandemic, I'm probably a 16. <laughs> <laughs> I have always thought of myself as fat. I am not. I still can can shop in a regular quote unquote straight size store. Okay. Um, the next size up when you get to the, you know, size 18 or one X that would be considered small fat. Then when you get to like two X, three X, that's considered medium fat and then when you get up to 4X plus, that's considered InfiniFat. So there are gradations within the fat community. And one of the things that I love is that in the course of this book, this woman identifies herself as medium fat. I think she, I can't remember specifically if she says she's a 2X or a 3X, but, but she does specifically call herself medium fat. And she says, and I have privilege within the fat community because I'm still not as fat as some people. 
who are, and, and that's not a shame. Like she's not using that as a shameful comparison. She's saying, even though you look at me and you don't like what you see, I still have more privilege than some other people. Yeah. If you're interested in learning more, um, check out Aubrey Gordon's work. She used to write under the name, your fat friend as an anonymous blogger, but over the last couple of years, she came out and started using her real name when she published a book called what we don't talk about when we talk about fat. Um, she has an amazing podcast called maintenance phase. Um, so those are all really great resources for people who are interested in this. Tell me what else you like. Oh God, I don't get all. I told you before we started recording, like I have so much that is highlighted. <laughs> Um, I think one of the things I love is the real, she does not shy away from the challenges of living this life. So for instance, we get to see, and I love the structure of this book in that some parts of it are narrative. Some of it are, you know, text conversations or transcripts of podcasts or whatever. Like there's lots of different ways you get to see all this. And near the beginning, there's a section where um, I think it's that B, the main character, is on a dating app, and we see the the messages that she gets from these guys about like, "Give me those curves, B. I just want to screw you. You know, like I just want my hands on your flesh." And she really deals with this truth about our current society, which is that fat women are actually really desired by a lot of people, but because there's such a stigma about it, they don't want to, um, the people who desire them don't want to be seen out in public with them. So they will, you know, take them home and have sex with them, but they won't date them, which is an actual thing that happens. Um, And she doesn't shy away from that. In the course of this book, including amongst the suitors, I think they call them. These are the, you know, if we're talking about the bachelor, bachelorette world, these would be the bachelors. Um, That there are some among them who, who would be more okay with sleeping with her, but not with dating her. Mm -hmm. There are bachelor suitors who um, are incredibly judgmental about her size and shape, but want their TV time. So they don't say that out loud. And then there are some people who actually want to be with her. And it's not in spite of her body. It's not because of her body. Her body is an essential aspect of who she is, but their desire of her, it's not wrapped up in how her body looks. I was surprised and impressed that she really dove into the mean online comments. Yes. Because I kind of thought at first, we're going to keep this Nora Ephron level of rom-com, which is great. I love me on Nora Ephron. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. But there were sections where she had those, those comments that, and they are horrifying comments. Yeah. You know, just do this to her. She never gets laid anyway, so she'd be grateful. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Exactly. And I was reading them going, oh, my God. But you know, you know that, you know that. That's That's real. 
That's real. And yeah. she didn't shy away from the flagrant cruelty that people have towards someone that they don't even deem worthy of basic respect, which I guess is kind of how we are these days online. Very often. It absolutely is. Um, can I share a personal story? Please. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I was that person. Again, I am not technically a fat person. I have been somewhere between 12 and 16 my whole adult life. But I lived with this belief that um, I would, if I showed any type of sexuality or um, interest in someone, they would laugh at me. And that all of that would eventually lead to assault because I had the type of body that I believed people found so unattractive that it didn't matter if they assaulted me. Like this was just a basic belief that I had about myself. During my experience traveling around the country, one of the, one of the crazier things that I did <laughs> was book a five-day trip to a sex resort in Jamaica. <laughs> What's a sex resort? I know, right? <laughs> um, I, you may be familiar with the term swingers club. It's basically a swingers club, on, okay. you know, on a Jamaican island. Um it's called hedonism too. If anybody wants to look it up, um, <laughs> once again, go ahead and pause. We'll be here after you Google it. <laughs> um, and all of the pictures on their website feature beautiful Barbie dolls, you know, like women with perfectly proportioned. So I, I did some serious Googling before I booked that trip about, am I going to be okay there? Like, am I going to feel awful and disgusting? And is this going to reinforce all of my negative body image issues? And what I found was people saying, no, there are women there. And of course it's the women I care about. Like the men could be whatever, and it wouldn't matter to me. I cared about the women who I was comparing myself to. Um, but I found things saying, no, like there are women of all sizes there. And so I went and I did not actually end up doing anything sexual. What I did was I found a hammock. This was not my plan going in, but it ended up being the perfect thing. Um, I found a hammock um, on the nude side of the beach so that I was forcing myself to be nude among all of the naked people so that I could practice what kind of what I thought was I could practice not caring about their dirty looks. <laughs> what in fact happened was I discovered that my body looked just like everybody else's, that I didn't get any dirty looks, that in fact people were looking at me with desire. But more than that, I looked around that beach and I saw women in every category. There were small fat women. There were medium fat women. There were infinifat women at that resort when I was there. And every single one of them had somebody looking at them with desire. I now know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is somebody who wants to love us no matter our size, no matter our shape. There are people who want to love us. 
And that's part of what I love about this book is that it is opening up this conversation that there are people who want to love us regardless of our size or shape, because we are the person who inhabits the body. But also, why do we think that people who are existing in larger bodies are brave just for showing up in society? Like one of the things that happens so often is a woman in a larger body will post a photograph on Instagram or whatever, and the trolls will come out and say, you're glorifying obesity. No, she's existing in a body that happens to be larger than you are comfortable looking at. There's nothing brave about that. Her bravery is about lots of things, but it's not about the fact that she fucking exists in a body. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Tell me more. Tell me what you have highlighted in this book. I, so I don't want to get into spoiler territory. Okay. But I do want to call out the fact that there are characters in this book that um, represent underrepresented communities. In what sense? But there is a gender nonconforming child that makes my heart sing. <laughs> and it, this child is treated with so much love and respect. Um, And then there is a character who is on the asexual spectrum, which came as a complete surprise to me. And I absolutely adore that kind of representation of just um, these characters showing up. And, and the, I think that the author does a great job in represent in presenting them so that there's a lot of empathy um, and not calling them out as weird, but showing them as like a full 3D human, which I just, I adored that so much. Um, There's a moment early in the book when B is on one of her first group dates and they're on a yacht and the producer wants her to get into a hot tub. And that means that B is going to have to wear a bathing suit. And she's like, um, no, we, this was not in our agreement. And the producer says, but you're so, you know, you're so proud and you're so confident. Why wouldn't you want to show that to the world? And B says, what you have seen of me on my fashion blog is carefully curated images where I get to be very intentional about what I'm wearing, what angle you're seeing, what, you know, everything about that is choreographed. What you're asking me to do is put on a bathing suit in front of a bunch of people who I barely know to be shown to an entire world with no control over how that looks, because I'm going to be stepping into the tub, which is going to make all my fat rolls in different ways. And you'll see my cellulite and like, and the producer's responses, but I've created this this magical fairy tale for you. What about this is not what you want. And B says, no, you've created what would be a fairy tale for you, Mm. for what somebody in your body would experience as a fairy tale. For me, in my body, 
there are booby traps everywhere. And I thought that was such a beautiful statement, such a beautifully crafted statement about what it, the way, and this is the way that privilege works, Mm -hmm. no matter what realm we're talking about, whether it's race, age, you know, gender, any of them is that those of us who are in the dominant culture, I am a white cisgender female. So I experience whiteness as just something I don't have to pay attention to and I don't have to think about because I've never had to think about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Somebody who's not white doesn't have that privilege. Somebody who is in a size four or size six body may think, oh, you know, I have a fat day. I know what that feels like to not be able to find clothes in my closet that look good on me when I'm bloated because of my period. No, it is not the same. What you are experiencing is a moment of insecurity while living in a body that is the dominant, what we have said is the idealized body. Living in a body that is completely outside the idealized body is a hundred percent different because you never have that moment of, oh, well, I can just throw on sweatpants and go out. Never, never. It's a completely different experience. It very much goes back to what you said you learned about the question of, you know, someone saying to you, what do you want? Whereas if we are asking other people, what is right for you? That's a completely different conversation. Oh my God. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Leah, what are you reading these days? Last night, I started the book, The Midnight Library. How is it? Oh, it's so interesting. I cannot imagine where it's going. I'm, I'm maybe I don't know, a quarter of the way through it. Um, so I'm still in the early parts, but um, have you read it? I haven't. It is right there, actually, <laughs> because my daughter read it and my mom just read it. So it's been passed on to yeah, me. Yeah, it I've is heard, so I've heard interesting. various things. I cannot imagine where this story is headed. <laughs> What's it about? It's about this woman who um, basically commits suicide and ends up in this library uh, where there is a book that catalogs every potential life she could have had based on the various choice points. Like, the moment when she decided to quit swimming in high school versus not quit swimming. And what would that life look like? Or the moment when she decided to marry this guy or not marry this guy. And what would that life have looked like? And she's like in the process of taking out these books and looking at what her lives would have looked like had she made different choices. Oh my God. That is the best idea for a book I've ever heard in my life. So interesting. (laughs) Will you tell my listeners where they can find you yes, and your absolutely. work? So um, you can find the podcast, Good Girls Talk About Sex, on any of the podcasting platforms. Um, and in it, I interview 
women, and I use that term because it's the easy term, but as we've discussed, gender is complicated. So what that really means is I interview anyone who was brought up as a little girl, regardless of their current gender identification and expression, plus transgender women, um, about their sex lives. So it's not expert conversations. It's literally like real real people talking about what happens in their bedrooms. So that's the podcast. Uh, and you can find me at leahcarry.com for coaching. Uh, that's of interest to you. Well, I want to thank you for joining me today. I knew it was going to be so fun talking to you. And I hope you will come back anytime you have a book you want to tell me about. Oh my God, anytime. This is so fun. <laughs> Bookworms, I can't wait to hear what you think of this episode, of Leah's story and of her connections to this fun and thought-provoking book. Let me know on Instagram at bestbookeverpodcast. I really look forward to hearing what you think. Remember, you can find links to all the books we discussed in the show notes or at my website, bestbookeverpodcast.com. And if you have a book you want to tell me about, click on the Be a Guest button on my website or Instagram bio, and we can chat. Thank you for joining me today, and I will see you at the library. Or, I don't know, maybe at a Jamaican sex resort. <laughs>